Well, it's certainly nice to be talking about Stanford football coming off of a win, 16-14 result at Notre Dame last week. What can the Cardinal do to make it back-to-back victory weeks? That's going to be the main focus of this episode of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity on the Believe Network and presented by Online. Thursday, October 20th, 2022. Hey, how you doing? Great to have you with us here on the show. I'm Troy Clarity. Thank you for being a part of the program. Stanford football taking on Arizona State this upcoming Saturday afternoon, a one o'clock kickoff on the farm. We are going to go. We're going to do what we do best on this show. Go deeper inside Stanford athletics and go further inside Stanford football than anybody else in the podcast space. That's what we do, and we're not going to stop with this week's episode. Looking forward to having two fantastic special guests. Stanford cornerback Caillou Blue Kelly. He and I caught up at Pac-12 Football Media Day in July. A terrific chat then. Looking forward to having a terrific conversation with him in this go-around. And Caillou Blue Kelly came back, was injured, did not play against Oregon State, made his return against Notre Dame, and it was certainly noticeable along with he and the rest of the Stanford defense, those dudes came to play against the Irish last week. How is Caillou feeling now about the Stanford defense? We'll get his thoughts on that and a couple of things that he'll be keeping an eye on when he's squaring off against the Sun Devils offense. And I'm also looking forward to catching up with our second very special guest on this week's show, Stanford Athletics Hall of Famer, College Football Hall of Famer. And you talk about the great running backs in Stanford football history. I don't think this guy gets talked about enough, but he certainly earned his spot right up there. Glenn Milburn, one of the all-time greats for Stanford football, just blew up on the scene in the 1990 season. Who can forget uh, that terrific uh, year that he had, uh, culminating in that uh, big game in Berkeley that year. Hey, how'd that one end? <laughs> but uh, looking forward to getting uh, Glenn's thoughts on Casey Filkins and this year's Stanford squad. And plus, with this being reunion week on the farm, been 30 years since one of the better Stanford football teams uh, that have been fielded in recent history. We're going to go back to 1992 and spend some time there with Glenn Milburn. So really looking to have, looking forward to having that chat with Glenn Milburn, plus Caillou Blue Kelly, all sorts of things here on this episode of the TreeCast. I'm Troy Clarity. As your host of this show since 2015, it's been my pleasure to be in that role. It's been my pleasure to be covering Stanford football since 1993, also in my ninth year of Pac-12 network play-by-play across 10 sports i'm all about field hockey volleyball and soccer this time of year in fact i've got field hockey later on on thursday volleyball on on friday evening and of course i'll be at the stanford football game on saturday and in my first year of national radio football play-by-play for the compass media networks my first game's coming up next weekend looking forward to telling you all about that Well, Stanford beating Notre Dame, that win certainly nice to have, but there's still so much left in the season. Cardinal running back Casey Philkins on what this week is all about for Stanford. It's really about not dwelling on the fact that we got a win and however many games it's been since we got a win. It's really about focusing on this week and, you know, really taking it day by day um, because, you know, nothing's nothing's for certain. And. We just got to work, um, work for tomorrow. Yeah, the things that Stanford can still accomplish this year probably can't be achieved if Stanford goes to two and five. Might still be in play if they're three and four and climbing. 
More on that as we begin the show with three things you need to know about Stanford football heading into the showdown against the Sun Devils. But first, football is back, and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your football betting needs this season. You'll find the latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends. And as your continued source for all sports wagering info, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, live scores, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events like MLB, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline, where the game starts. Let's start with three things you need to know about the card as they prepare to face the Sun Devils on a Saturday. And we begin with number one. And on Tuesday, during his weekly press conference, Stanford football head coach David Shaw gave us his latest personnel report for Arizona State. We'll go through it from the players who have the best chance of playing to one who has no chance of playing. Left tackle Walter Rouse, right guard Levi Rogers, and offensive tackle Barrett Miller, questionable, but according to David Shaw, quote, they're trending in the right direction. Much needed. We'll get more into the injury picture for Stanford later on in the show. Linebacker Lavani Damuni is questionable. Offensive tackle Jack Lair and edge rusher David Bailey are doubtful. Wide receiver Michael Wilson, who left the game at South Bend with an upper body injury with about four and a half minutes to go in the third quarter, will be out, as David Shaw says, quote, for a significant portion of time. David Shaw with more on Wilson. Like I said, more than likely out for the year. I'm just not ready to say that just yet. But we'll see how uh, how the next week or so goes with he and the doctors. And, um, you know, uh, he'll make the best decision for him, his health and his future. And we will 100% support that. Um, and uh, no matter what that is, but all of us right now are going to lean on the doctors for them to tell us uh, what the most prudent thing to do is. Yeah, it's frustrating, and it, I'm not sure if that's going to be replaced. Uh, Michael Wilson, uh, Stanford's leading receiver coming into this week, and not just a fantastic receiver, also a, a pretty effective weapon on reverses, but man, just the competitive streak that he brings to the football field. If you've seen Michael Wilson play, you know Hopefully it's not the not, hopefully last week isn't the last that we have seen of, of Michael Wilson in a Cardinal uniform. But overall, hopefully that the best decisions are made with his health. I'm sure they will be uh, going forward for the remainder of the season. It's frustrating, right? I mean, this, of the last 24 games that Stanford has played, he's missed 10 of them. But Michael Wilson out for the foreseeable future for Stanford. Let's move on to number two. <laughs> Casey Philkins carried the ball 32 times against Notre Dame last week. 32. That's the most by any Stanford running back since Cameron Scarlett had 33 carries against Washington in 2019. And that kind of surprised me to see that he had 32 carries on the day. It surprised someone else, too. You'll hear it for yourself in just a moment. On Tuesday, I asked Casey how he was feeling after toting the rock that many times in one ball game. In the moment, I didn't really notice it. You know, that's not something I'm really keeping track of too much. Um, I definitely felt it after the game and still feeling it a little bit. Um, just, you know, minor stuff. I'm just, I'm just overall pretty sore. I feel like I kind of back in high school when the most carries I got in high school, I think was 45 in a game. <laughs> so obviously it wasn't something like that. Um, but yeah, you know, just getting back into the swing of it and um, 
obviously a little bit more of a low than what I've had. So yeah, feeling feeling sore, but overall I'm feeling great. Casey Filkins and obviously Casey carrying a heavier load these days with EJ Smith out for the year. I asked David Shaw if 32 carries in one game for Filkins is ideal and if it's sustainable and maybe even the way going forward. That is not ideal. That was not the plan. Um, I was shocked uh, afterwards to know there was that many carries. Um, we, we've really worked on getting a better rotation um, for, uh, for him. Um, we did it during the course of the game, the second half, especially the fourth quarter, we did not do it as much as we would like. Um, we really want to work on that going forward. We've got a couple of other capable guys in that room um, that have to take some responsibility and take some plays away. But at the same time, um, yeah, Casey played great. He's one of our players of the game. Yeah, that that was that was a quite a bit, um, quite a bit more than we we had anticipated and hoped for. And um, I don't anticipate that happening uh, very much going forward. Well, there you have it, David Shaw. Uh, surprised and probably not in a good way to see Casey Filkins that carried the 32 times against Notre Dame last week. Uh, Caleb Robinson and Brendan Barrow. I'm sure we'll see them get more snaps going forward. Now, interesting to note, Chris McCaffrey. 32-plus carries three times, 32 carries each in the Pac-12 championship game against USC in 2015, Oregon State in 2016, and 33 carries against Oregon in 2015. Bryce Love never carried it 32 times in his career. The Stanford record, by the way, 45 by Tyler Gaffney against Oregon in 2013. Let's wrap up three things with number three. Hey, how about this? A 1 o'clock kickoff for Stanford football. Man, how about, I'd forgotten what that looked like. A sun-splashed Saturday afternoon on the farm is what awaits us all as we go inside the eucalyptus curtain for Stanford's earliest kickoff time for a home game since that Oregon contest last year. That was a 12.30 p.m. kickoff, and it left with all of us walking out of the stadium going, wow, what did, what did we just see? How did Stanford win that game? David Shaw's very happy to get things going earlier in the day for a change. As you all know, I've been begging and pleading for weeks now um, to play football during the day. And uh, our guys are excited. Our families are excited. Um, it makes the, the fans are excited. Um, we have a lot of fans that drive to games, especially from an hour, two hours away, three hours away. That's just tough coming back at three o'clock in the morning. So. Um, excited. We're able to have this game here. Very appreciative of our, our TV people, of our conference. Um, I know many people are excited also because it's a reunion weekend um, to be able to have a, a day game so we can have all the festivities after the game. Um, so, so great. Um, so great for a lot of us. Um, and, uh, you know, now just to be able to, you know, we can't have those early, a lot of those early morning meetings that we've been kind of having, which is great. You know, get a chance to get up, eat breakfast, have a couple quick conversations and walk through and now let's go. Um, so we're uh, we're all excited about it. And hopefully this isn't the last one of these we'll have during the course of the year. Yeah, David Shaw pumped up for a one o'clock kickoff. So it'll be nice to see Stanford playing in daylight, in broad daylight. What What's the kickoff time for UCLA next week? 7.30 down at the Rose Bowl? Oh, okay, all right, well. All right, well, enjoy this one while we can. Those are three things. All right, we'll talk to Glenn Milburn later on in the show, and we will talk to Stanford cornerback Caillou Blue Kelly in a couple of minutes or so. One thing that I wanted to get into for a couple moments uh, right here and now is the injury story. 
And once again, injuries playing a role in Stanford's fortunes and in Stanford's season. Injuries have ravaged Stanford over the past few years. You remember, remember the Cardinal pretty much running out of offensive linemen in 2019 and uh, more or less running out of skill players in 2021. Having five different guys take competitive snaps at quarterback alone in the 2021 season. Well, and, and injuries and attrition have been a part of the story this year, too. Hey, quick quiz. Name the six offensive tackles that have taken competitive snaps for Stanford this year. Go. That's a clock sound effect in case you just did, didn't know. <laughs> Time's up. Walter Rouse, Miles Hinton, Barrett Miller, Connor McLaughlin, Jack Lair, and Fisher Anderson became the sixth different offensive tackle uh, to uh, take competitive snaps for Stanford when he appeared and played in pretty much the entire fourth quarter for the Cardinal against Notre Dame. Levi Rogers at right guard has missed time, and he took the starting goal role there after Branson Bragg retired due to a concussion. So once again, the offensive line has seen more than its share of attrition. Stanford, of course, has also been without E.J. Smith basically since halftime against USC. Caleb Robinson also missed a game along the way, so that's why we're seeing Casey Philkins carry the rock 32 times in one game. Michael Wilson, at wide receiver, he's out, and he may not be coming back. Injuries also affecting the secondary. No Caillou Blue Kelly against uh, Oregon State. He'll tell us more about that in a couple minutes. So no shortage of injuries for Stanford this year. Football's a rough game. All right, let's just start right there. Football is a rough and dangerous game. You will get injured. But has it been any rougher for Stanford this year as it has in previous years? I asked David Shaw for his impressions on that. Yeah, I mean, you never go a season without losing starters. Um, it's a it's a violent football game. The football's a violent game. Uh, I would say this year we are deeper. And it's something that we've really worked on over the last couple of years making sure we have the depth to handle injuries that happen. Um, so for us to be able to go down to our, you know, a, a freshman tackle, uh, playing left tackle um, in fourth quarter at Notre Dame, and he went out there and did well. So um, the big thing for us is to, to recruit depth and to prepare those guys to play. Um, we've had to do that in the secondary. We've had to do that at receiver. We've had to do that at running back. Um, so, that's just a part of part of big time college football. Yeah, every team in college football is dealing with injuries and attrition, right? I mean, Arizona State, their QB one Emory Jones has missed time. He didn't play in their last game against Washington. Trenton Bourget got the start and the win. Emory Jones slated to start this week for the Sun Devils. Uh, Utah missing Brant Queefy, one of the best tight ends in the Pac-12. Dalton Kincaid played a terrific game against USC, and he was dominant at times against uh, UCLA as well. But you put uh, Queefy and Kincaid on the field at the same time. Ooh, I think the Utah offense has missed that gear. So injuries affecting them. Uh, last time we saw Jordan, and Jordan Addison, the fantastic wide receiver for USC, he was on crutches. Apparently he's day-to-day. And USC's leading tackler, Eric Gentry, also day-to-day as he had to leave that Utah game with injuries. So injuries affect everyone, and they are affecting everyone. It's not just Stanford necessarily. And it seems like this year Stanford's been able to deal with things a bit better because of its depth. I mean, look, normally if you're on your sixth offensive tackle of the year, 
that's a dire, dire situation. By that point, you're just looking for warm bodies, right? And look, it's a dire situation for Stanford, too. However, when you look at what Fisher Anderson did against Notre Dame, he held his own. And it gives you, it makes you feel a little bit better about placing a Fisher Anderson in that situation. Or a Jack Lair, who had been doing quite well uh, for himself in the last couple games before he got hurt. We know how deep the wide receiving core is, so even though Michael Wilson is largely irreplaceable in so many different ways, most of them tangible, but many of them intangible, the rest of the guys can still pick up the slack. Now, how sustainable is all this? Can, can Stanford afford to keep losing guys at the rate that it kind of has been? Well, no, not on the offensive line. It's not. <laughs> certainly not there. Uh, it wouldn't necessarily surprise me to see Walter Rouse and Barrett Miller back and available this week. So that'll help. Wouldn't surprise me to see those two guys back in the mix. And again, football is a rough and dangerous game. Seemingly more unsafe by the year. So hopefully Stanford keeps getting reinforcements and quite honestly gets a bit more luck in that department going forward. But it's been something to track throughout the year. Stanford with a full season of, of strength and conditioning, a full offseason, I should say, of strength and conditioning. How has that affected things? Well, it's, it's tough to tell because, you know, football is such a game, is, is such a violent game. That's kind of tough to tell from that standpoint. But you look at it from the players who have gotten opportunities because of the injuries, and, and for the most part, many of them have done well. So there is that. One of the guys who has missed time this year is Caillou Blue Kelly. Did not play against Oregon State, but came back against Notre Dame. And he and the Stanford defense played a fantastic game. By far their best uh, and most consistent effort of the year. Was it perfect? No. Still a bit too many explosive plays. Still 160 yards allowed on the ground. But considering where it had been throughout much of September, much improved overall. And Caillou Blue Kelly, a big part of that. One of the best corners, certainly in the Pac-12, if maybe not even a bit beyond. The senior from Las Vegas. Always a pleasure to watch him play. And on a warm Wednesday evening after practice, I headed down to the Stanford campus, and I caught up with Caillou Blue Kelly. All right, Caillou. Well, it was my understanding that at halftime you gave a little speech in South Bend and you pretty much demanded that you wanted to have a happy flight home. <laughs> so after that result, 16-14, mm -hmm. beating Notre Dame, defense helping to take center stage, how was that flight back to the Bay? It was great, man. A bunch of smiles. We're all laughing. I mean, I took it. I couldn't play last um, that Oregon State week. I was out with a concussion. I actually had to watch it from my bedroom. I wasn't able to go to the stadium and watch. So I took it really personal watching my guys lose. Felt like I wasn't there for them. I couldn't do that much. So it was just personal. We had to walk away with that win. You know, I just knew it was going to be a dogfight at the halftime and just felt like some good words need to be said. And those guys came out on top. Really proud of us for real. Yeah, overall, defensively, what did it take to get it done? Just the execution was phenomenal. I mean, top down from secondary all the way to the defensive front. And those guys, I mean, credit to them. They just had the best game of their season. They progressed 
every single week, and that's what we've been waiting for. Guys like Jackson Moy, David Bailey, who's unfortunately down, Stephen Heron, um, the list goes on and on, Anthony Franklin. Those guys just came out and just balled for us and just really gave the pass rush that we needed for us to play man-to-man on the back end, which is really great. I really thought that perhaps the most cohesive play, individual play overall, was that situation fourth and two, Notre Dame at the Stanford Five, mm-hmm. late first quarter, card up 7 nothing. Mm-hmm. You had a big hand in helping to set the tone in that play. Take me through that play as you remembered from before the snap, from the receiver goes in motion, to after that. So I had PTSD um, Washington game, kind of a similar play, a fast sweep on a fourth and one, and I just felt the receiver off. I'm like, this doesn't really seem right. He's not really supposed to be here on a fourth down, right? So I'm thinking, okay, fly sweep. Let's make it happen. So I talked to Patrick Fields. I'm like, go ahead and rock. Just take my position instead of me running and chasing it. Just go ahead and go, and you can set the edge really quick. And he makes a phenomenal play. And just that, you know, communication we have in chemistry to where I don't even have to say anything. I just give him a nice little point. He knows what it is. So it was great. That was great communication we had. The big stick there helping to point the way to victory. But, you know, Stanford still two and four mm-hmm. halfway through the season. Obviously not where this program wanted to be at this point in the season. Overall, grand scheme of things, offense, defense, special teams, how would you sum up how the season's gone so far? I mean, it's just, um, I can only describe it as a little too late to find what we're good at. You know I mean? A lot of it was just, we were just trying to put things together, piece things together to where we can all start working just for the defense. You know, secondary's working with the D-line, everybody's working that cohesion. That's what we had in Notre Dame. Unfortunately, two and four, it took us a little too late. But doesn't mean we can't just keep steamrolling through the rest of the season. I think that's where both offensive, defensively, and special teams where our heads at. Just you know, we can't forget the past, but know that it's over. We can only move on from there and try and stack W's as much as we can. Cohesion and a bit more aggression, it mm-hmm. seems, before the snap and obviously uh, after the snap as well. Uh, we didn't really see that, it seemed, for the most part mm-hmm. in September. Saw a bit more against Oregon State and, and seemed to be like the, the rule of the day yeah. against Notre Dame. What's sort of gone into uh, the, the bit more aggressive, it seems, approach uh, for Stanford on the defensive side the last couple weeks? Yeah, I got to give credit to um, Coach Shaw, you know, just listening to us. You know, we actually had a leadership meeting with him several times just to talk about, you know, how can we find a way to win, pretty much. You know, just talking to our coach, seeing where his head's at, giving our tidbits. And that was the main thing defensively. Um, John McGill said, uh, said it great. He said, um, I play defense to mess with the offense. I don't play defense just to go out there. You know, and he was, that's the main thing, aggression. In order to mess with the defense, you got to get in their face, show them different looks, and make sure we're getting pressure when we need to. And I think the coaches took that to heart. You know, as we can see, that was right before Oregon State week. So as you can see, it came into fruition, and um, yeah, that's where we're going from there. Just pretty much that's how it kind of started throughout the season. A lot of eyes on the Stanford secondary coming into the season. You and I, of course, talked about this back mm-hmm. at a Pac-12 Football Media Day mm-hmm. um, in L.A. Uh, the most veteran, the most athletic group that Stanford defensively had coming into the year, and I think for the most part that's been proven true. Mm-hmm. Take me through the secondary right now and your assessment of how it's gone for you and the rest mm-hmm. of the guys. Yeah, I'd say just guys are playing great. You know, I feel like um, Ethan Bonner is having the best season. We've came in and played pretty much our whole careers together. He's only one year above me, and this is probably the best I've seen him play in-game, and I'm really proud of him. Kendall Williamson, just another guy who's having his best year. Jonathan McGill doing the same thing, and Patrick Fields. I feel like there is a lot of pressure on us just because, like you said, it is one of the better um, position groups on the field, but I just feel like we kind of took that personal, and, you know, 
we're going to be a man team. So just, you know, go out there and really work technique, really work chemistry, knowing that where's our help, safeties to corners, corners to safeties and nickels. And we just are playing really good. And I feel like those guys are just really just elevating their game at a really, really fast level. It's doing great for themselves. Seems like you and Ethan are pretty much one-on-one, uh, pretty much for the most part <laughs> out there. Uh, yeah. just, just take me through it a little bit. When you're lining up across a receiver, what sort of things are you particularly looking for as far as what might be coming up during the actual play itself? What sort of things are you watching out for before the actual snap? Yeah, I'd say one of the tougher things about playing press, you see a lot more or less of the field. You know, so you can only read the closest receiver to you or you can take a peek at the far side. So it's really what's in front of you, the splits of where he's at relating to the hash or the numbers, whether he's on top of the numbers means he has a two-way go in press or if he's on inside, okay, if I'm to the field, most likely he's going to come inside, back to the quarterback's vision. It's kind of harder for the quarterback to throw a long pass to the field. Or in the boundary, he's lined up close to the quarterback. He might be making room for the outside. So I kind of think about it. What's this receiver trying to do to make room for his route? That's how I kind of take it. And I play my press off of that, trying to take away that, what he's trying to make room for in a way. So other than that, it's just down and distance helps a lot. You know, I can kind of get a feel of what an offensive coordinator wants to do. Like, okay, it's third and four backed up on his um, 20, he might he might not want to take a shot here. He might want to get the sticks, so play a different type of mentality or vice versa, long yardage, might want to get the sticks or take a shot. So that's what kind of goes into it a little bit. Or fourth and two. Wait a minute, this was, what, what, what's this receiver doing here? Exactly, exactly. Just feeling the game is what Coach Aquino has, you know, over my four years really pressed me on the mental side of the game, and it helps because when you have athletic ability and you can think the game, good things can happen for sure. I'm sure that much of the strength of the secondary has been has come from having to guard these receivers in practice, and it looks like Stanford's going to be down probably its 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 best receiver and and yeah. no question one of its leaders for the foreseeable future in Michael Wilson. Mm-hmm. Uh, your thoughts on what he's going to be going through for the next few weeks and what he means to this team? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's, it's terrible, man. I mean, to see Mike go down like that with the season he was having, putting up 100 yards against 100 plus against. Washington and just having one of the best seasons he's had after coming off of his um, foot last year. It's just, it's really unfortunate, but you know, he hasn't missed a beat as a leadership role. You know, it's like Mike's still here playing with us, you know, the way he is a leader. And I feel like, you know, the wide receivers know that they've been in this situation before last year. Some guys went down the next guy up and these guys are always ready to go. And I still have full confidence in Tanner and the guys to do what they need to do. Who's the toughest receiver to cover in practice? Man, I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, he might have just went down. Mike Wilson is, is a tough receiver, man. He's strong. He's fast. He's smart, too. He knows how to play. What I told you, he knows how I play. So he, he knows how to attack my leverages in different ways. But for sure, Mike Wilson, yeah. All right, let's talk about Arizona State here, the Sun Devils. It's been a... It's been a season for them, but they found a way to put it together and to beat Washington in their last appearance a couple weeks ago. They're coming off a bye week, and they could be in a pretty intriguing spot here. Uh, Your thoughts on what the Arizona State Sun Devils might bring to the farm on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, my message to the team was like, even though Notre Dame was a must win because of Oregon State loss, I feel like this game is that much bigger, knowing that they have found their stride, they have a bye week, and they're ready to steamroll just like we are after coming off of a big win. And um, they have a really complex um, offense. 
dance. You know, they have a lot of different ways of doing the same things with different motions, shifts, and um, a great um, shot scheme with their play action. They establish a really good run game. So I feel like they have really good athletes. That's the main thing to describe their offense. They have a bunch of athletes, and the offensive coordinator does a great job of pinning and pulling and placing guys where he needs them to make plays happen, for sure. All right, let's wrap it up on yeah. this. Uh, halfway through the season, six games in, six games to go. Still a lot of things on the table for this team to potentially accomplish by the time it's all said and done. What needs to happen for Stanford to get to where it can go here in the 2022 season? I just say don't slow down. You know, you, we saw what we can do as a team, um, Notre Dame. We weren't perfect, but we saw the aggression and tenacity and mentality that we came out with. I feel like if any team has a mentality to go out and win, a lot of good things could fall in their place, and that's something that we definitely need to take forward in order to do what we need to do this season. We'll see. Yeah. Should be interesting. Should be fun. Caillou, thanks a bunch. Always appreciate the time. Always enjoy watching you play. Always enjoy chatting with you. Good luck. Best of health. And we'll talk again soon. Definitely. Thank you. Appreciate it. Fun chat with uh, Caillou Blue Kelly. And I, lo I love the quote that he attributed to Jonathan McGill. Hey, man, I play defense to mess with the offense. I like it. And that approach has worked. It's largely worked for Stanford over the last couple of weeks. And it's so good to see. Look, we've talked about this. Look, Stanford is still giving up explosive plays at a rate beyond, I'm sure, one that they would like and one that, that I'm comfortable with for the most part. But at least they're being aggressive in doing it and trying to take it to the opponent instead of just, instead of just laying back and not really doing anything until the ball carries five, six, seven yards downfield. So Stanford defense improving in some ways in leaps and bounds just over the last couple of weeks. Will that continue against Arizona State? Will that continue going forward? Both of those things will be big indicators in whether Stanford is perhaps in the mix for a 13th game in the postseason somewhere or spending December sweeping up and cleaning out the garage. Well, it's reunion weekend on the farm. It's my 25th, actually. Holy cow, I can't believe that. But uh, certainly a great time on the farm this weekend with Stanford taking on Arizona State, a 1 o'clock kickoff at Stanford Stadium. And I want to go back in the Wayback Machine just a little bit further than, than my year anyway to 30 years ago, the 1992 squad, which did some fantastic things. And oh, by the way, it came up with a big win against Notre Dame along the way. One of the leaders of that team is one of the best in Stanford football history. Played for the Cardinal, was a part of the program from 89 to 92. Two-time All-Pac-10. Blew up in 1990. Finished ninth in the 1992 Heisman Trophy voting. In the NFL, played for Denver, Detroit, Chicago, and San Diego. Two-time All-Pro. Oh, by the way, Stanford Athletics Hall of Famer and College Football Hall of Famer. Pleasure to welcome into the show the one and only Glenn Milburn. Glenn, thanks a bunch. Appreciate the time. How are you doing today? Doing great, Troy. Glad to be on the TreeCast. You bet. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time out. And uh, hey, we're, we're, we're still you know feeling a lot better uh, this week than we have been other weeks throughout the season because of the win uh, that Stanford was able to get away with uh, and get out of South Bend with, uh, South Bend with last week. Uh, you were watching it. You were checking it out. What, what were some of the things that you took away from that win for Stanford last week? Well, I've, it's been a it's been a bumpy season so far, and to get a win, not only a win against a, a established program like Notre Dame, uh, to get the Legends Trophy, to win on the road in a hostile environment, 
to see the, the opening drive to be consistent, balanced, run and pass, to be able to get a, a quick touchdown, and then to, to come up with some turnovers. Those were all encouraging signs uh, and hopefully pointing toward forward momentum. We'll certainly see about that, especially I was very encouraged with uh, what's some of the things that we saw uh, on the defensive side of the ball in particular. But, you know, you, you've come away with big wins at Notre Dame yourself. 1990, when the Cardinal played Stunford against Notre Dame and, and 92 um, as well as w- in which Stanford really took over that game um, in the second half. So you knew full well what those victorious plane rides from South Bend can be like. How big? can beating Notre Dame in South Bend be for a team? Well, again, we're, we're, we're definitely going back into the time machine 30 years ago uh, in 1990, when we first went, went to South Bend, when they were ranked number one, I don't think anyone outside of our locker room expected us to come away with a win. They, they had, were riding a pretty long winning streak. They had all of these first round draft picks and we went in uh, and they probably overlooked us, but we, in that game, it was really us capitalizing on turnovers, not making mistakes ourselves, uh, taking advantage of what was given to us. And I think we got three punt, uh, fumbled punt recoveries on special teams. You know, the, un, the third phase of the game is special teams a lot of times, and we won that battle. And then we were fortunate. We, we ran the ball well. We had great timing on, you know, some pass plays to Ed McCaffrey. And um, Tommy Bardell obviously had four touchdowns that game. And we were able to, to really um, come away with the, with the win. And, and the locker room was really changed our season that year. We really felt like if we can go into Notre Dame and, and win against a team like that, the, really the sky's the limit. And uh, I think that led us really gaining a lot of confidence going into 1992 because remember uh, Dennis Green was our coach in 1990 and by 1992 Bill Walsh was our coach and many of those the, the same players were young that were young players like myself I was just a sophomore in 1990 and then coming into 1992 as a senior I knew that look we've done this before they're still ranked number one they probably still overlook us, but this time we know what it takes. We don't beat ourselves. We can have a chance to do it. And, and again, capitalize on some turnovers. John Lynch in, in, in 1992 was our catalyst for creating turnovers. I think he got an interception that game, created some fumbles. And, um, and then we were able to put together some pretty good drives uh, offensively and didn't, didn't beat ourselves. And I think that was the key to winning the way we did in 1992. Two big wins, no doubt, in, uh, in Stanford uh, football history. Let's bring it back to this year for a moment or so. Uh, you know, Stanford's still two and four, not where it wants to be, not where it expected to be uh, at this part of the season as we're sitting halfway through it. What, what strikes you overall about this year's team and some of the things that, that it's had to go through and try to overcome? Well, for one, I think injuries have played a part in it. Um, obviously after game one, you don't have EJ Smith as your starting running back. I know that the Stanford running back, uh, position has seen its share of kind of workhorses over the last, you know, decade or so. And so you, you know, Philkins has come in and, and, and played well. Um, 
but again, they, I think the injuries have, have made a, made a difference. The offensive line has, you know, is, is new and, and reorganized and reshuffled line. Um, you know, the key is, is done a good job of managing the changes and, you know, you throw to the big receivers and tight end. I think they have the talent on the outside and, and, and if they can stay healthy on the interior, both offensively and defensively, I think they're set up to, to, to build on this momentum. You know, they haven't got off to the great start that they needed to so far, but a win on the road can do wonders for your confidence and for your locker room. And I think Stanford has traditionally not hurt themselves. Um, and if they can cut down on turnovers and just play the type of Stanford disciplined football that they know how to do, I think they, they, they have the remainder of their season in front of them where they can make some, some headway. Let's see how it all shakes out starting uh, this Saturday against uh, Arizona state as Stanford gears up uh, for its stretch run. But of course, you know, your career with, uh, with Stanford, actually your collegiate career did not begin at Stanford. You were committed to the Cardinal, but went to Oklahoma for your first year instead in 1988 and then transferred to a Stanford in 89 and became a full part of the team in, in 1990, Oklahoma and Stanford. I grew up in Midwest city. So I, I know how big <laughs> Oklahoma football is back there. And obviously going to Stanford, uh, those are two quite different experiences. I would imagine how different was the Oklahoma football experience for you and compared with your Stanford football experience. Well, definitely a, a different environment, a different experience. Um, I grew up in Los Angeles, so going to Norman, Oklahoma in itself would, was a bit of a shock for me. Um, but I went to their football camp for several summers leading up to my senior year in high school. So I, I was familiar with the, the euphoria around Oklahoma Sooner football. And when I got there, it was all of that and then some. Uh, Pack stadiums, people knew who you were right when you, the day one you walk on campus. And it was a football driven experience for the most part. Uh, me personally, uh, when I got to Stanford, a different experience. One that, you know, I'm standing in Lagunita in, 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 in the cafeteria waiting for, for, to get my turn at the lunch line. And I see someone with the USA, uh, outfit on right in front of me, who happens to have won two gold medals in the Olympics. Uh, I said, I'm in a different place here. We're all standing in line, no matter what, what accomplishments we think we've done. So it, I was, I knew I was in a special place amongst really sharp and exceptional people, exceptional people. Uh, and it caused me to really recognize the diversity and the special place that Stanford was because um, no matter if you're someone that is in music, philosophy, um, media uh, or, or sports, you're, you're, you want to be the best. And, and it challenged me to be the best I, I could be. It's amazing hearing you speak on those things. And uh, speaking to Patrick Fields, the uh, Stanford Nickelback, who grad transferred from Oklahoma um, this past uh, this past offseason and hearing hearing you guys say some very similar things uh, is, is, is really, really neat to uh, really neat to consider um, that 1992 team. Uh, for quite a while, for my lifetime, stood as the best Stanford football team uh, for, for my lifetime until around prior on 2010 or so. But that 92 team had some guys 
and had some guy named Bill Walsh returning as as the head coach um, as well. What stands out to you about those guys and that season 30 years later? Well, I think it definitely was a special time for us um, as players on the team. Uh, after Dennis Green had, had left Stanford to go to the NFL, there was this, this kind of uncertainty around the program. Who are we, who's going to be our next coach? Uh, we, we'd love to have some continuity. We'd love to see if we can get someone like Dennis Green. We love Dennis Green and, and his staff. He had an amazing staff on, uh, for the first several years we were, that we were all there. But when we had the announcement that Bill Walsh was coming back to Stanford as our head coach, it was almost like instant validation. This is a person who's won at the highest level. He's built the 49ers into one of the best programs in the NFL. And we're going to have the, the opportunity to learn as, as an offensive player, to learn the art from the architect of the West Coast offense. And so that year was really surreal for, for many of us as offensive players, Steve Stenstrom, myself, um, many of our offensive uh, players, Justin Armour, uh, we were we we really felt fortunate to be able to play on uh, under him and learn from him because many of us who went on to the NFL, we had already had a crash course in the West Coast offense, which half the NFL had run at that time, and and so players really bought into everything Coach Walsh was saying because he had instant credibility, and then you know when we went into Notre Dame, we weren't intimidated. We knew that look, we're going to have the right scheme and the right strategy and approach and game plan going into the football game. We just have to execute and play and believe in ourselves and believe in each other. And I think as we began to play that season, we started to see the game plan and the execution that, that forged a, an internal belief and a confidence in each other. And it just snowballed from there. And I think that's what made that season special is by the end of the season, when we played Penn State in the bowl game, uh, we we knew we were the better team. Absolutely blew up uh, Penn State in the blockbuster bowl uh, that season, 24 to three. And it's it's really cool, you know, looking at pictures uh, from those teams and from that era. And some guy wore, wearing number 84 is, is running around <laughs> out there and getting a little play in time as well. Any good David Shaw stories uh, from that era for you? I, I tell you, David Shaw uh, has been this, what you see on the sideline. He's a, he's a stoic. He's a, a very uh, cerebral uh, he doesn't show a lot of emotion, um, but he's very smart and calculated. You know, my impression of him then is the same as it is now. He's someone that is thoughtful. He's not going to let it be about him. He's going to, um, he worked hard in practice. He was someone that understood what his role was on the team and, um, you know, just has been a great addition to the program and a, and really a legendary coach in his own right. Um, I remember when I first got to Stanford, he was Willie Shaw's son, who's happened to, to, to be a part of the new, a new member of our, of our program. And uh, he's just grown. And it's, it's been great to see the evolution of him over the years. Um, but yeah, no funny, no funny stories. I don't want to out him on, on, on in the public. <laughs> Nothing but positives to say about Coach Shaw. 
So, so the statute of limitations hasn't run out yet, is what you're saying here. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> a couple last things here uh, for you, Glenn. It's interesting because you got drafted by the Denver Broncos. I actually spent some time in the 1995 Denver Bronco training camp as I interned for uh, uh, for KOA Radio uh, that summer. So that yes. was pretty cool. Uh, but your first year, your first couple years there in Denver, your offensive coordinator was Jim Fossil who had been a Stanford assistant previously. Right. And the quarterback was some guy named John Elway. I, 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 he went to Stanford too, uh, I, I, I believe. H- how was that experience? I don't remember any of those guys. I'm kidding. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it was great. Um, you know, playing with John Elway, you know, when I first came to Stanford, John Elway and Darren Nelson were the two players that I really tried my best to to try to emulate uh, their success. They were the ones from that era prior to me getting there, which were, they were already in the NFL. They were producing at, at a very high level. And so to, to get drafted to the Broncos where John Elway was already a legendary from the drive and the Super Bowl appearances to now being his teammate and being able to catch passes from him, see him in practice, how he prepared, how he executed, how we made everyone in the huddle feel like we were going to go down and score during the two minute drive, the way he handled himself off the field uh, as a professional, as a professional in the community. Um, someone that really uh, took me as a Stanford alum under his wing. And, and, you know, I remember going to his house and watching the big game, you know, things that I just appreciate as a young rookie to see how someone who's, really done everything you could do in, in the sport of football, but to take time to this young 21 year old rookie uh, to take under his wing, that was, I really respected that. Um, And yeah, you know, it was, it was amazing to, to be able to, to be there at that time because the Broncos were, were, were still a strong team and, you know, to be able to be there during that time was, was great, great for my career. You, you mentioned Vincent White um, earlier in the chat and Vincent White, Darren Nelson, uh, you know, even going back to those days, uh, yourself, more recently, Christian McCaffrey, Bryce Love, uh, different style runners, obviously, but Tommy Vardell and Toby Gerhardt. You know, Stanford has a pretty sneaky good running back tradition, certainly dating back around fit the past 50 years or so, uh, specifically over the past decade or so with, you know, Christian McCaffrey and Bryce Love. What did it mean to you to see those guys succeed on the level that they did? And in, certainly in Christian's case, probably should have been the Heisman Trophy winner in the 2015 season, Bryce Love, uh, being in the room when the when the, the award was announced. What did those guys' success mean to you? Well, it, it meant that the, the, the program was finally getting the recognition it deserved um, and, and really for both Christian McCaffrey and for Bryce Love, I thought they both were deserving of the Heisman Trophy those years they played. Um, you know, I think outside of playing, you know, in the time zone they did, they would have very well ran away with it, with their statistics and, their, and just the impressive games they all had. But it was validating because it was, it was really, for me, a connection from David Shaw as a player to now David Shaw as a coach and, and recognizing how a Stanford athlete, a Stanford student, a running back that um, could be used in a system that commanded a lot of innovation and a lot of expertise and a lot of ability, um, Stanford, a Stanford student athlete could handle that. 
um, because they put Christian in a lot of different positions to succeed. They put Bryce Love in positions where he could thrive using his skill set. And, you know, the same with Toby Gerhardt. You know, they they were different styles of players, all three of them, but they all had success within a system that was generally, um, you know, a balanced but run-heavy system that I think utilized similar formations and, and setups, but but really use the best of, the, of their abilities to, to, to exploit the defense. And I thought uh, it was just really nice to see Stanford finally getting some recognition after all the years that we kind of um, were, were maybe not as seen as, as one of the powers uh, of college football from a running standpoint. All right, let's wrap it up on this. Uh, you're based down in LA. What are some of the things that you're up to right now at this point? Well, yeah, it's, it's been great. I've, uh, I've served in a number of capacities. Um, I've been a consultant and lobbyist for a number of years. I've been a partner with another Stanford uh, uh, alum. I actually serve on a public board uh, from a, a financial um, and government standpoint. And I'm, I'm actually in the process of um, assuming a CEO role in a, in a, a retail company here in Los Angeles. So um, still staying active and busy. And whenever I can, I do take, take the time to tune in on Stanford football for sure. Well, certainly as, as one of the all-time greats, it's awesome that you're still as connected as you are to the program and doing great things off the field as well. And I'm sure you'll be keeping an eye on things, uh, this Saturday when Stanford hosts Arizona state, we'll try to make it two in a row and take it from there. But one of the all-time greats, Glenn Milburn, our guest on the TreeCast. Glenn, thanks a bunch. Appreciate the time. Stay safe, stay healthy, and hope we get a chance to chat again soon. Thanks a bunch. Thank you, Troy. Thank you. Glenn Milburn, how about that? Well, that was a, that was a fun chat. Really glad that he could spend some time with us and uh, awesome to hear all the uh, great things that uh, he is doing off the field. I think the last time we talked, he was actually the general manager of the Austin Wranglers of the Arena Football League back when they were playing in the mid-2000s. I think that might have been the last time we had a conversation, but certainly great to uh, uh, to hear and to talk to Glenn in the here and now. And, uh, man, that, that 1992 team, the foundation of that team was really defense, right? You know, you heard him mention John Lynch, but, but Ron George, Estevan Avila, uh, Tom Williams, uh, Tyrone Parker up front, Darian Gordon, cornerback. Man, that the, the, the foundation of that 92 squad was defense. I mean, yeah, Bill Walsh got top billing, and rightfully so, but it was really a defense that, for the most part, held that team together that year. And it worked. They had some big, big wins and beat Penn State in the Blockbuster Bowl to close out that season. By the way, if you haven't already, Read it over the years, and I, I highly suggest you check out the book, the book Rough Magic, uh, written by Lowell Cohn. It, it came out uh, right before the 94 season, and it was, you know, Lowell was given all access to Bill Walsh in the program in that 1992 season. Super revealing look inside the program. I, I, still, I still have my copy, and every once in a while I refer to it um, to this very day. But uh, Rough Magic, if you haven't... If you haven't checked that out, I, I highly suggest you uh, uh, you go and uh, grab a book, grab it, grab a copy, and uh, and and read it. It's a, it was a, it's still uh, still pretty a very very compelling read and a look at 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 a program that if you're listening to this podcast, you 
you care about. And to look inside Bill Walsh, he was a very, very complex man. But our thanks again to Glenn Milburn for joining us on the show. All right, let's talk about Arizona State. Uh, Herm Edwards, of course, as many of you are aware, no longer the ASU head coach, shown the door after the Sun Devil started off 1-2 and two and lost to Eastern Michigan at home. Ugh. Sean Iguano is now the uh, new uh, interim head coach while the Sun Devils try to figure out what they're going to do next and maybe just as important what the NCAA is going to do to them. Sun Devils are also 2-4, and four, Mike Stanford, and like the Cardinal, Sun Devils are also coming off of a much-needed win. Some similarities between the Cardinal and the Sun Devils, as Casey Filkins notes. I think they're kind of a little bit of a team that's similar to us in a sense of they have a lot of talent um, and, you know, their record might not necessarily reflect that. Um, they move around on defense. Um, they've got active dudes and um, on offense. I think I think they are going to try to run the ball. Um, and I know they always just have athletes kind of all over the place. So I think it's going to be a good matchup. Yeah. And the numbers between these two teams from a team standpoint are pretty similar to uh, middle of the pack generally in the offensive side, still bottom tier on the defensive side. Stanford comes into this week off of its first game. Winning the turnover battle. Turnover margin is where Stanford has been dead last for much of the year. But they come into this one off a performance in which they were plus two in turnovers against Notre Dame. Forced two, allowed none. Cornerback Ethan Bonner says, yeah, we need to we need to keep doing that. I think we have the opportunity up front to really um, establish a presence in the run game and um, kind of just continue to build, build on last week. And... Um, you know, really just I'm, I'm just looking forward to going out there, having another opportunity with with those guys against a talented Arizona State team that, you know, I, I know they've had some coaching changes and stuff like that. Um, that seems like they're a motivated group and kind of rallying around uh, the coach that, that that's there for them right now. And so we know it's going to be a challenge. They're going to come in fired up and um, we got to we got to step up for sure. That's Ethan Bonner. By the way, Arizona State in the turnover margin this year. They're minus one. Stanford's still minus nine, and that's still 128th in FBS. And a reminder that there are 131 FBS teams. But Ethan Bonner says he'd like the defense to get some turnovers. Casey Filkin says he'd like to get the ground game going. That was huge, and I think we need to continue that, that trend and keep forcing turnovers in the games because that's huge. You know, I think we've been – on the negative side of the turnover margin almost every game. Um, so for us to cre create more turnovers, that, that, that creates a lot of momentum and helps the team win. So we got to continue to do that. That's Casey Filkins, who wants to see a productive day in the rushing category. Ethan Bonner says he wants the defense to get some turnovers. Here's what I'd like to see. More touchdowns for Stanford. Let's not forget that the card only got one touchdown at Notre Dame. And it came on the opening drive. Stanford held out of the end zone after that opening drive. I mean, thank goodness for Joshua Cardi, right? And, and that is that is the good news, that, that, that Cardi has been a terrific kicker, having a great year, 7 of 7, the long of 53. He's already been named Pac-12 Special Teams Player of the Week twice. And he's been nominated the last three weeks, winning two of them. But I just hope that going forward and starting this Saturday, I just hope that Stanford sees Joshua Cardi more on kickoffs 
than on place kicks. Gotta get touchdowns. You know, my wife, <laughs> God bless her, when she watches football, she always says, you know, you don't win with field goals. You win with touchdowns. And she's absolutely right. Absolutely 100% right. My wife is very, very wise. But gotta get touchdowns. Gotta get touchdowns. As many as humanly possible against the Sun Devil squad that, look, who knows what we're going to see against those guys. But just get six points if you're Stanford and let the rest take care of itself. If you've got thoughts on the show, I highly recommend that you let me know what's on your mind with the TreeCast, with Stanford football. Anything you hear on the show, you want to react to anything that Caillou Blue Kelly and uh, Glenn Milburn had to say, hit me with it. Hashtag TreeCast on Twitter. Hashtag TreeCast. I forgot to remind you at the top of the show, hey, subscribe to the program if you haven't already. You can do so wherever you get the good podcast from. Rate and review the program and enjoy it and tell folks about it. Proud to do what we do here in the podcast space as nobody covers Stanford athletics like we do. Don't plan on changing that anytime soon. We'll talk to you on Sunday as we will give you a recap and a review with post-game sound and all sorts of analysis. You know how we do. And hopefully we're breaking down Stanford's back-to-back wins over Notre Dame and hopefully Arizona State. We'll find out on, on Saturday, and then we'll talk about it on Sunday on the next episode of the TreeCast. Special thanks to our guests, Caillou Blue Kelly and Glenn Milburn. How about that? It's a pretty darn good guest list if I do say so myself. Special thanks, as always, however, goes out to you for joining us on the show and for being a part of the program. Don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay sane, and go Stanford. Talk to you Sunday on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity on the Believe Network and presented by Bet Online.